encourage you to partake in the pastries, and there might even be a little boudin left and some coffee, but uh, go get you something if you feel so inclined. Look, I'm glad that you're here today. I'm honored that you would show up. I'm glad that you would come and be with us today. I want you to be encouraged by what you hear today. I want you to be inspired, but y'all know I also want you to feel challenged to grow as well. So thank you for being here, and for those of you joining us on podcast, uh, I thank you for joining in and giving us a listen wherever you are and whatever you're doing. We're honored that you would take the time to listen to next. So just a quick review. We've been taking a few weeks to be very intentional about our focus before the holiday season sets in. It's getting closer. It's getting closer. Yes, it is. And um, we've been talking about time and what it means to be weird instead of being normal, something I am uniquely qualified to talk to you about. Uh, and I want you to know that you can thank Craig Rochelle for this material. It comes from one of his older books called Weird, because normal isn't working. But so far, we've talked about how much of a struggle it is to be normal these days, and how dangerous normal really is. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 through 14, we've read this scripture several times so far, but we're going to hear it one more time again today. It says, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. So lots and lots of normal people are on the same road. It's a wide gate, and it's a, it's a broad road. So many are on that broad road that leads to destruction. It says, but just a few, just a few weird ones are on this narrow road that leads to life. And then we saw in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, where it says, By His divine power, God has given us everything that we need to live a godly life. It does say everything. Not most things, not some things, not just a few things. The Scripture says God's given us everything that we need for living a godly life. He's already given you everything that you need to live for Him and to do what He has for you to do. So we don't need more time. We need to use the time we already have differently. Normal people allow good things to control the best things. And that's why normal people feel like they never have enough time. But Romans 12 and 2 tells us this, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Don't be normal, the Scripture says. Don't be normal. Don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, mindlessly adding more and more of everything that you can to your plate without really thinking about it, without consciously making choices that enable you to savor the best things in life. I love the analogy of the all-you-can-eat buffet. I've told y'all before, I try to avoid those, not because I'm a germaphobe, just because whenever I go to an all-you-can-eat buffet, I want to win. I'm there to win. I'm going to give you my money, but I'm going to win. And so I load it down, not just once, not just twice, but three times, and then we go back for dessert. Because everything looks good, and for the most part, everything is. But it's unhealthy. 
It's unhealthy. So we do the same thing in life. There are a lot of good things, really good things, that we will just continue to pile on our plate. We'll talk a little bit about that today. But I don't know how healthy that is. At some point, we need to make some choices so that we can savor the best things that life has to offer. We've got to remind ourselves that just because we can do something doesn't mean that we should. And last week, we talked about being present. As long as we're so busy, our minds and hearts, guys, they're somewhere else. We're simply not present. Our minds are so cluttered with endless to-do lists that there's no room for us to experience the joy of being alive today. Normal people, normal people live, they live these distracted lives, and they're, they're very rarely fully present in the moment. But weird people, weird people silence the distractions and remain fully in those matters most moments that we always talk about. Matters most moments, times with the kids, times with loved ones, times with people you care about, times doing those things that you are passionate about. Matters most moments. It's what we call them. And once again, y'all, the answer isn't more time. The answer is a greater awareness of the time that we have. It's like a car with a poor alignment. We'll use this analogy again. If you've driven a car with a poor front-end alignment, you know you constantly have to fight to get that thing either from crossing the center line or going into the ditch. Okay, that, that's, that's us. That, that's our lives because culture is constantly pulling us out of alignment. You've got to constantly fight this thing back towards center, back toward the middle of the road. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 17 say this. Be careful then. We saw this last week. Be careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Be wise, not foolish. Be weird, not normal. Don't let culture divert you from living in the present and being fully engaged with the people that God has placed around you you got to fight against that daily drift, guys, or you're going to be normal. How can I do that, Jason? Sounds great, but how do I do it? Well, one practical way that we saw last week is to ask the best question. The best question. Ask the best question. The best question isn't, is it right? The best question isn't, is it good? That's not the best question. What we need to ask is this. Is this wise? In light of my desire to stay grounded in what matters most to me and to God. Is it wise? So this week, I want to talk to you about this, this, re this, really, <laughs> this really weird. We've been weird so far, but today it's going to get really weird. This is a really weird one today. This weird thing called rest. This is, this is going to be a short lesson today, uh, so you need to get on board quick. We'll be done probably in about 20 minutes from now, maybe a little less. There's a guy named Dalton Clark Conley. He's a sociology professor, Steve Eldenrath, and he is the chair of the sociology department at New York University. He's a published author, and he's written several books that examine the role of race and economics. And in 2009, he released a book entitled Elsewhere USA, How We Got from the Company Man 
family dinners and an affluent society to the home office, Blackberry moms, and economic anxiety. That's quite a title. But the book is about how American society has moved from embodying a Protestant ethic in the 19th and early 20th centuries to a social ethic in the mid-20th century to today's whatever you call it. He calls it an elsewhere ethic. Sounds fascinating, doesn't it? Now, look, this is just a side note, but it's too, it's too funny for me to pass it up. Conley was formally married. It has nothing to do with the point of this lesson. It's just weird to me. Conley was formally married to a techno artist. I don't even know what that is. And her name was Natalie Jeremijenko. And together they had two children, a daughter named E, the letter E, and then a son, watch this, named Yao Zing Henyo Augustus Eisner Alexander Weiser Knuckles Jeremijenko Conley. So I don't know. Maybe we don't need to listen to anything this guy has to say. But back on topic. Here's a quote from Conley. Listen to this. Listen. Discount the name of his son and listen. He said that the, the line dividing work and leisure is blurring right before our eyes and it's creating a phenomenon called weezer time. Weezer time. Not really at work, but not really at leisure either. People so rarely unplug and rest that we now have a term for it. Weezer time. Whenever you're on vacation with the family, but you're still answering emails and taking calls, Weezer time. It's Weezer time. So jumping right into it, Craig uh, talks about a time in his life where uh, he, he was just absolutely just run down, and, and he went to see a therapist. And yes, Craig Rochelle, the pastor of one of the largest churches, if not the largest church in the United States, went to see a therapist. And this is what his therapist told him. Listen to this quote. The biggest reason why so many people surrender to the normal, overwhelmed, overly driven, unsustainable pace is because we don't have faith. We don't honestly believe that God is on His throne, that He can and will handle the details of our lives, that He wants what's truly best for us, and that His way of doing life is better. Now that's a loaded statement. Is it true? Are we living, I just want you to consider it today, are we living the way we're living, stressed out, overworked, time crunched, overly burdened, tired all the time because we don't have faith in God? I'm not telling. I'm, I'm just I'm asking you what y'all think. And if it's possible that the reason we live with so much stress is because in some very core areas in our lives, we don't have faith in God. Now, I've got faith in God for, for, for salvation. I've got faith in God for operation in the gifts of the Spirit. But do I have faith in God to give me rest if I'm not constantly handling every single thing that comes along? Maybe we're missing some faith in some core areas of our lives. And before you write it off as crazy talk, listen to the rest of the explanation. Craig's therapist went on to say this. We're afraid that if we don't just run nonstop and try everything this world has to offer, we're going to miss out on something. 
We're afraid that we might miss out on that one thing that turns out to be the one elusive piece of our puzzle that will finally fill the void within us that we feel so deeply. But nothing can. Grishel admits, he said, I was busted. I had been filling my life with things. More of those good things, but not best things. And I had elevated my busyness to become an idol that endowed me with a keen sense of self-importance and entitlement. But watch this. Craig said, just because I was addicted to God's work did not mean that my fixation was healthy. Author and pastor Timothy Keller said in his book, Counterfeit Gods, idolatry is just a failure. I'm sorry. Idolatry is not just a failure to obey God. It's a setting of the whole heart on something besides God. Idolatry is not just a failure to obey God. It is a setting of the whole heart on something besides God. We distract ourselves with being productive. And that makes us look just like everyone else in the world. Yet we have a biblical mandate in 2 Corinthians 6 and 17 that says to come out from among them and be ye separate. Now we'll take that and apply it to holiness standards or whatever those are. But how about our time? Come out from among them and be ye separate. Separate. Our self-worth gets sucked into a churning cycle of bigger, better, best until we don't know how to live any other way. And anyone that suggests that we do live other, another way is, is weird. We think a bigger house will make my spouse happy, so that will help my marriage, so I'll take that promotion that means I'll travel and be away from home more and see my wife and kids less. A nicer car will improve my self-image. A lot of important people are going to be at that meeting, so I need to be there too, even though it's a weekend. I need my body to be as perfect as possible so people will notice me and think I'm attractive because that's what gets people ahead in life. I have to give my kids everything I never had, and I have to make sure that they never miss any opportunity. That's why we play travel ball and do all of the lessons, and then we're involved in tutoring. Otherwise, they might turn out to be like me, but they could be better. Ooh, it's sick, it's destructive, and it's harmful, but it's all too normal. So if you feel like you have to produce more and more and more to fill that vacuum inside, if you feel like the only way to reach this magical place called fulfillment, welcome to Fulfillment Island, The only way that you can get there is to go and to push and to do and to run and to strive and to struggle and to reach. Make no mistake, it is idolatry. You're trying to substitute something for God when he's the only one that can fulfill you. So what's the prescription? Guys, we need rest. The antidote to idolatry is taking a Sabbath. Y'all know what we really need? 
We need a come to Jesus meeting. Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. It says, then Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I'm humble and gentle at heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear and the burden that I give you is light. Think about this for just a second. Now, I told you all this is, this is short. We're, we're getting close to the end. But think about this for just a moment. Sometimes I think it's, it's just as interesting to point out things that the Bible doesn't say. Look at what Jesus doesn't say in this passage. Jesus doesn't say, look, I'm going to need you to work overtime. I'm going to need you to answer every email within 24 hours. I'm going to need you to have your phone on you at all times so that you're ready to take every phone call and make sure at the same time that the kids are always family portrait dressed and styled. Keep your house looking like Southern Living on the outside and Martha Stewart's Thanksgiving on the inside. Oh, and I need you to have a rocking body at the same time too. Jesus did not say any of that. In case you missed it, what Jesus did say is, I will give you rest for your soul. Deep, internal rest and peace. Don't answer this out loud, but just think about it. When was the last time that you were completely at rest? Just think about it for a minute. I might need to give some of you a long time, but think about it for a minute. When was the last time you were completely at rest? Some of you probably can't even remember what that feels like. You're like, uh, I'm going back like 20 years right now, and I'm not really coming up with anything. See, you don't even have a clue. Look, experiencing real rest doesn't mean that you become lazy it doesn't mean that you become unproductive. Take Jesus, for example. Jesus was busy, but he was never hurried. He was, he was productive, but he was never overwhelmed. And he accomplished everything that his father wanted him to do and still spent refreshing times in fellowship alone with his father. Look, some of you taking notes today, Get this down. Knowing how to rest, knowing when and how to rest, is knowing when and how to acknowledge your limitations and dependence on God. Knowing when and how to rest is knowing when and how to acknowledge your limitations and your dependence on God. Remember, the measure for knowing whether or not you're successful and whether or not you've arrived these days is how much you produce, how stressed you are, how busy you are, how full your schedule is, how far out your calendar is, is written in. Consider for just a minute with me how weird 
it is for someone to be calm and relaxed and at ease and peaceful. Most of the time, whenever we meet people like that, we think either you're on medication or you need to be on medication. Because it's weird these days whenever people are just chill. We tend to think of rest, and I'm including all of you in this one with me. I'm not taking the rap for this one by myself. We tend to think of rest as a luxury that we can't afford. But what if, what if rest is not a luxury, but a necessity? We've talked about this in weeks previously, but whenever you're really normal and really busy, there's not time to get everything done, and you certainly can't take a day off to rest. As one great scholar and theologian so aptly put it, ain't nobody got time for that. Right? Rest? Ain't nobody got time for that. Or so we think. But you know what? God worked for six days. And then on the seventh day, he rested. Now, he didn't have to. He didn't need to. But right off the bat, first things first, the God of the universe, busy creating earth and sky and plants and fish and man and woman and everything else, that God sets this incredible precedent for us by setting aside time to rest. And it was such a good idea. It's like, this is great. This is a great. I'm going to make this one of the Ten Commandments. This is such a good idea. I'm going to make it one of the Ten Commandments. So in Exodus 20, 9 through 10, this is what it says. And I love how deliberate this passage is. You will have six days each week for your ordinary work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. On that day, no one in your household may do any work. This includes you, your sons, your daughters, your male and female servants, your livestock, and any foreigners living among you. Everybody has to rest. In case you missed it, this is what God was saying. For six days, work hard. Do your ordinary thing. Get out there, work hard, be busy, produce, all that kind of stuff. But once a week, on the seventh day, nobody works, everybody rests. Simple, right? But watch this one. God even takes it a step farther. In Leviticus chapter 29, verses 2 through 4, God told Moses, this is really weird. Speak to the Israelites and say to them, when you enter the land that I'm going to give you, the land itself must observe a Sabbath to the Lord. For six years, watch the parallels here, for six years sow your fields, and for six years prune your vineyards and gather their crops. Do your ordinary work. But in the seventh year, the land is to have a year of Sabbath rest, a Sabbath to the Lord. Do not sow your fields or prune your vineyards. Now, I want you all to ask yourself a question. Have you ever heard of a company that would take a year off every six years? We think Chick-fil-A is weird for being closed on Sunday. And what if Chick-fil-A, God, please don't let this happen, but what if Chick-fil-A came out and said, all right, that's six years. We're taking the next year off. We'll see you on 365 days. What if Ford Motor Company 
What if Verizon, what if the evil empire itself, AT&T, said, which, take a year off, y'all go home, do stuff, whatever you got to do, but we'll, we'll see you back in a year. What if Dow, Michelle, I don't know. Oh, but, it, you know, that's a really great question. It, it's weird. But, but God gave the same idea in principle to the Israelites. By letting the land lie fallow for a year, they allowed those depleted nutrients in the soil to restore themselves. But watch this. So that the land would remain productive naturally. I don't have to add something else to the process. I don't have to go out and find some fertilizer because if I do it the way God intended me to do it and let it rest, then naturally it remains productive. And that sounds easy for them back then, right? Oh, yeah, I mean, a bunch of farmers, nomads, shepherds, whatever, you know, don't work for a year, big deal. But consider what they had to go through to farm and raise food. There was an, now we're going to bring this full circle back to our question of faith. There was an element of faith involved in their rest that we don't really have a framework for. They had to have faith in God to let the land and themselves take a rest. We're not going to plan anything this year. And whatever God allows the land to produce, it's what we're going to eat. We're not going to prune anything this year. And whatever God allows the land to produce, that's what we're going to eat. That's a lot of faith. Y'all, that's not normal. <laughs> that's weird. Normal people don't even know how to rest anymore. We take our vacations and they are packed with traveling and with activities and money worries. And we come back from our vacation. Come on, y'all know. Needing a vacation. Any parent that's been to Disney World with your kids in the middle of the summertime knows you don't come back rested and relaxed. You come back angry, poor, and frustrated. Happiest place on earth. <laughs> Even if you're kind of weird and, and you decide to do a staycation instead, right? What you usually wind up doing is working on all the stuff around the house that you need to get caught up on that you haven't had time to do. Normal people think that they are too busy or too important to even rest for a day. What do you mean take a day to rest? What do you mean take a day off? I can't do that. Do you have any idea how important I am? I can't just let things go. This place would fall apart without important me here doing all of my important stuff and all of my important meetings. Now, most of us would never say that actually out loud. There are a few people that do. But most of us would probably never say that out loud. But a lot of us believe that in our hearts. And even whenever you say it quietly in your heart, what you're saying is, God, your principles are just not true. Your principles don't apply to me. 
you don't, you, you don't get it, God. You don't understand. You don't know. What you're saying is you don't believe that He knows what's best for you, and that, my friends, is faith. Faith says, God, you know what's best for me. That rest will make you more productive and spiritually healthy. You don't need more time. You need some faith. And you probably need to take a nap. Rick Warren says, sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is take a nap. That's why I do my best to be spiritual every Sunday afternoon. <laughs> so look, if you, want, if you want a normal life, then just do what normal people do. Just keep clicking along, being normal. But if you want to know God intimately, if you want to walk with Him daily, and please Him in every way, then you're going to have to do something that only a few weird people do. You're going to have to rest. So if you're addicted to your schedule, if you're addicted to your accomplishments, then it's time that you do something a little drastic and weird to break out of that. If your iPad is your idol, ooh, that was pretty good. It's time to put it down. Close the MacBook, man. Shut down Gmail for a little while. To be fully alive, listen to me, you need time with God to recharge. And whether you get your time with God in the mountains or on the beach or on your sofa at home, that rest is going to be up to you. Take the time, create the margin, and prioritize some rest and let God be God without your help for a day. I promise you it is not all going to fall apart if you take a little bit of time to rest. Next week, Nathan Henson is going to be talking to us, and I've got a little bit of an inside scoop on what he's going to be doing. I'm really excited about that, and I hope that you can be here for that. So um, please keep that in mind. Let, let's pray. Lord, your word talks about your people entering into your rest. And we understand that, that that's a foretelling of a time whenever the spirit would come. The comforter would come. And it would live in the hearts of men and women so that we would actually be walking around flesh and body vessels of the Spirit, which is that rest. So I don't know how it is, God, that we find ourselves so worn out, frustrated, stressed, and depleted. Maybe it's because, maybe it's because we just don't spend enough time with you. Jesus today, for everybody in this room, for everyone that, that comes into Grace Church today, I'm praying that we will have a come to Jesus meeting where we spend time in your presence, where we take off the yoke 
that's on us and we allow you to put your yoke on us you said that you would give our souls rest so that's what i'm asking you for today lord for everybody here i pray that they would have rest in their souls and as a result they would find themselves being naturally more productive because they're at peace with you 